Welcome to Stories from the NNI. I'm Lisa Friedersdorf, Director of the National Nanotechnology Coordination Office. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome Greg Lowry, Walter J. Blanco, Senior Professor of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Carnegie Mellon University and Deputy Director of the NSF EPA Center for Environmental Implications of Nanotechnology, or SAINT. Greg, thanks you so much for taking the time to join us today. To get us started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in nanotechnology? Sure. So I'm a professor of civil and environmental engineering, as you just said. I work primarily in the fields of water, water treatment, uh, remediation, and more recently in in agriculture and trying to make agrochemicals, agrochemical delivery more efficient. You know, I started my career in 2000 as a professor. And that's when I first started getting into nanotechnology, and that was to develop nanomaterials for groundwater remediation. I mean, specifically, these were little iron particles, uh, nanoscale, zero-bound iron particles. And the idea there was to essentially inject many, many tons of these materials in the ground to clean up the groundwater, things like chlorinated solvents. And then somewhere around 2005, there was some concern that maybe these nanomaterials were going to be harmful toxic to people. And that that made us think a little bit about these materials. And it actually led to the formation of our center, the Center for Environmental Implications of Nanotechnology. That began in 2008 to look carefully at the implications of these materials, like the iron particles that we were using. But really, more broadly, if, if you're starting to use nanomaterials in paints on the side of houses, for example, or in catalysts for cars. And, you know, what's the potential for exposure? What's the potential risk of these materials? And to be honest, and we can talk a little more about that at the end, I guess, what we found was that these nanomaterials were were not inherently so bad for people. So around 2016, we started moving back into developing applications for remediation and for agriculture. So I want to ask you a little bit about SAINT. So the center is a collaboration involving a number of universities, including Duke and Carnegie Mellon, Howard, Virginia Tech, and the University of Kentucky, Stanford, Baylor. I hope I haven't left anyone out. What, what are your thoughts on the importance of collaboration in interdisciplinarity? That was a huge part of our center, was working with biologists and ecologists and toxicologists and chemists and risk assessors and and sort of bringing them all together. You know, back then we called it interdisciplinarity and, or transdisciplinary. Now we call it convergent research, but it really was essential to the success of, of SAINT. So getting all these people in a room together from very different perspectives on the problem uh, asked uh, or helped us to ask the questions in the right way. It helped us to do much more realistic exposure scenarios. You know, we, we had this mesocosm center. So we had 30, think of it like a box, like a big box that had soil and plants and water and, and critters, um, you know, fish and snails and things. And they really represented a, an emergent freshwater wetland. And of course, we couldn't have even designed something like that without the ecologists on board and without the toxicologists on board. So we used those boxes, we rallied around those boxes, and it it allowed us to sort of group think what the behavior would be, who might be impacted, what the routes of exposure would be, what the possible effects are. 
So, you know, a great example of this is the nutrient status of a mesocosm. So some waters are more nutrient rich and other ones are nutrient poor. And apparently that changes very much the biology and the ability of the biology and the ecosystem to respond to a toxic compound or to respond to any kind of material that's placed in there. I never would have thought of that as a more environmental chemistry type person. So we started running experiments around that, that dealt with eutrophication state and nutrient status. And, and we started to see very subtle effects from materials or differences in behaviors uh, that we never, ever would have seen without this group of people working together on the problem. It sounds like a lot of fun, honestly. When you look back, can you share some of the things that, that you learned from 10 years of SAINT research? Oh, yeah. Saint was amazing. What we thought going into Saint, sort of the inherent, the premise was that nanomaterials are going to be toxic and we need to go figure out a priority what makes them toxic so that we can design materials that, that are less toxic. And I think probably the most important thing that we learned is that nanomaterials really are not inherently toxic just because they're small. You know, if you make a nanomaterial made of lead, of course, it, there's going to be problems with it. We already know that lead is, is problematic. Inhalation of small particles. We already know the health effects of those things. But what it, we found was nanotechnology, which are small particles, really aren't adding any more risks than just what we know about small particles already. In fact, some of the cases that we've done, so we work a lot when in the agriculture space, we look at metal oxide particles to deliver micronutrients. And it turns out that what they normally use in agriculture would be a soluble metal species or maybe a complex metal species. It's available to the plant quickly, and you can only put very small amounts on to the plants before they react to it. With nanomaterials, you can put a lot more material on the plants. So the nanomaterial is actually less toxic than these traditional metal ions that are used in agriculture. And that's because you get this sort of inherent slow release of metal from the material. That's just a bonus from making a nanometer. They're kinetically limited in the release of, of the metals from them. And that works to our advantage. And then another piece of the center that, that I think sort of, or a concept that emerged during the center and continues is this idea of safer by design approaches to engineered nanomaterials. And the idea is how do we develop that material and engineer it so that it serves its purpose, but has minimal impacts on the environment and on human health. So think of it like green chemistry principles that are applied to nanomaterials. There's challenges in trying to do that, but the idea of engineering systems with sustainability in mind is one of the things that I think grew along the time of the center. So thinking a little bit more broadly and in outside of the work of Saint, but maybe including the work of the nanotechnology community broadly, looking back, what do you see as some of the most significant advances that have been made in the understanding of nanotechnology? And where do you think nanotechnology has the opportunity to make the biggest impacts in the future? If you think about the major challenges facing society with regard to sustainability, you have to think about food and energy and water. And I think nanomaterials 
are starting to play a role and have played a role in things like water treatment, right? I mean, there's a there's Newt is a center that NSF funds around nanomaterials for water treatment. You know, we've we've done a lot with remediation and nanomaterials, and I think nanotechnology, the ability to build things and construct materials, we're not totally at atom by atom yet, but we are getting much better at making multifunctional materials that can, for example, provide selectivity needed for remediation or for resource recovery. I think that's an important area. I mentioned agriculture, agrochemical use in agriculture. Well, it accounts for 70% of all freshwater use. Wow. So that's a big deal. It accounts for something like 25% of greenhouse gas emissions globally. So if, if we can do things in the agricultural space that improve efficiencies and, and can decrease greenhouse gas emissions, we're going to have a huge impact. And there are now some what we call plant nanobiotechnology approaches to do a better job at targeting delivery of macronutrients and micronutrients to plants through foliar applications, for example. There are materials that are being looked at to improve the resilience of agriculture. So right now with extreme climate events, you have extreme heat or droughts. There are materials, nanomaterials that have been shown to scavenge reactive oxygen, improve photosynthesis capabilities, essentially to try and help plants get through these extreme peak events of temperature, for example. If you have a crop that's growing and it's a 90-day cycle and there's two days in the middle where peak temperatures are 45 degrees C or 41 degrees C, the plants just aren't going to make it through that. But if you can give them something to help them just get through the, that one or two days that they need to overcome that heat and have that resilience to temperature, then the temperatures will come back down and the plants will do fine. And I think there's great opportunities in agriculture for that. There's also people working on using nanomaterials like carbon nanotubes to make plants themselves sensors. So you can integrate these materials into plants and then the plant can create a, a signal, you know, a biological signal. That biological signal can be converted with the nanomaterial into an electromagnetic signal that you can pick up with your phone, for example. So just imagine a plant that can tell you that it needs nitrogen or a plant that can tell you that a pest has started to attack its roots and it needs help. You need to deal with this before you can even see that the plant is sick. The plant can signal to you that, that there's a problem. That's a game changer in the agricultural world, I think. Air pollution management. So there's a lot of nanomaterials that are coming in, you know, catalysis kind of things to, to manage air pollution better. Imagine if you could create a nanomaterial that could treat a virus. Well, you could put them into a mask and make masks a little bit more efficient, very relevant for the times. Yes. And I think sensor, sensor technologies are still ramping up and nanomaterials are going to play a big role in sensors and you know, sort of single ion sensing opportunities, ability to sense things in water, like low levels of phosphate or nitrogen. And that'll allow us to control systems very efficiently. Those are probably the biggest areas that I see related to environment, which are the things that I work on. 
Thank you for that. I think that that was really exciting to hear some of the ideas for nanotechnology into the future. I want to thank you again for taking the time to talk with us today. Do you have any closing thoughts that you would like to share with our listeners? In my experience with looking closely at the at the risks and the benefits of, of nanotechnology, I would say that right now the benefits of exploring the applications and the uses of nanotechnology and nanomaterials are going to significantly outweigh any risks that they may pose. That's not to say that we have to completely stop looking at the risks of these things. We have to consider unintended consequences and effects. But I think focusing a little more attention on the benefit side and harnessing the benefits that nanomaterials offer is probably good for the industry and for the researchers to be thinking about. Thank you for joining us today for Stories from the NNI. If you would like to learn more about nanotechnology, please visit nano.gov or email us at info at nnco.nano.gov and check back here for more stories.